Welcome everybody to On the Edge with Eddie, Detangling Black Identities. I am your host, Eddie Etty. Hey, listen, I am again excited for you to join this journey to explore all the different shades of blackness, have real conversations and the discussions. Um, like I always say, you know what, this conversation, stories and discussions are not meant to degrade, discourage or to prove a point. Exploring Black Identities, it's all about learning, empowering, giving people a voice to tell their stories, and of course, be a voice for people who can't tell their stories. Hashtag that all Black people are the same. Today, though, I have a baller on the line with me here. Um, Raina, hey, listen, Raina, originally from Michigan, Central Michigan, played uh, basketball in Central Michigan. Um, uh, got a master's degree in sports administration at Wayne State, uh, served as the director of women's basketball at University of Michigan. She has been at Iowa for several years, a uh, Big Ten champion. And I mean, uh, what I really appreciate about Raina, though, is her passion for um, the DEI space, I mean, diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, she has done a lot of uh, initiatives. And I mean, she is just so real, like so authentic, having a conversation, having a conversation with Raina is just sort of, it's just woke, like awakening. I mean, it's so refreshing. Raina, welcome to On the Edge with Eddie. What's Yo, up? What up though? <laughs> I am so happy to be here, Eddie. Thank you for asking me to be a part of this podcast. I'm so happy when you told me that you were going to start it. I was elated because I know the conversations that we have had. I know your reach to people and the questions are going to be phenomenal. So kudos to you for, you know, getting your podcast off the ground. I can't see, uh, I can't wait to see how far you go with this thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I don't, I don't even know how far I'm going to go with it. You know, I'm just, I'm just taking it one day at a time, talking to real people, having real conversations because, you know, like, you know, you know, there's so many times that, you know, we, we get into the black identity space and, you know, we don't even know who we are at times. Right. And maybe it's not because we don't know who we are, but because of the situations that we're in, people make it feel like we're, um, um, sort of like we don't belong in, you know, those spaces, right? Absolutely. But, <laughs> but before we get started, I want to ask you this, right? So you, you're from Michigan um, mm -hmm. and you grew up in Michigan. Tell me a little bit about your life in Michigan, growing up in Michigan, um, you know, elementary school, junior high, what was it like? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from uh, Detroit, Michigan. Um, so was born in the early 80s. Uh, okay. I won't give you the exact year. Just, <laughs> I won't date it's all myself. good. I was born in the 70s, so it's all good. <laughs> so yeah, I was born in the early 80s. And I think um, one thing that's unique about Detroit uh, that we don't talk about often is that it's still, and it was more so back then, one of the blackest cities uh, in the country. And so I grew up, um, you know, not seeing a ton of white people in my presence, uh, mm -hmm. but TV and media looked a lot different, uh, you know, than it did in my, my real life, right. Just with the things that were on TV at the time. Right. Um, and so I grew up an only child. Uh, I grew up in a single parent home. My dad, he lived in a suburb, not too far away from Detroit. So I would see him on the weekends. And then when I got to middle school, uh, he left and, and went to move to Chicago. Um, but it was then uh, my mom was kind of looking for something for me to do around the middle school age. So I would say around 11 or 12, um, you know, and I credit a program called Detroit Police Athletic League. Um, and so while I grew up as an only child, my mom put me in a ton of programs. Uh, nice. So I started off in a cheer program, believe it or not. Nice. Uh, I had an nice. older cousin who played football. And so when she would take him to practice, she's like, look, look at these cheerleaders over here. Do you want to be a part of something? So I was like, sure, you know, let's do it. Yeah, um, yeah. And throughout that program and throughout junior high and high school, um, you know, I played softball. I was part of the track program, part of the tennis program, part of the ski program, believe it or not, they were taking a bunch of black kids to go ski, which is, which okay. was interesting <laughs> at the time, you know, cause then I would go to my, my school and they're like, dude, what's that? 
what's that around your zipper? Like, it looks right. like, I mean, like a condom wrapper, kind of. They're like, what's right, that? Right, yeah. No, I went skiing. Like, it was for the ski lift. And, you know, it was interesting times um, just being a part of that dynamic. But I'm so appreciative of my mom putting me in all those different programs. And it right. was actually in one of those programs where I found my love for basketball. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, so... Um, you know, it reminds me of a Jamaican bobsled, right? Bobsled team, right? Who running? I know, right? Oh, that movie is dope. So growing up in a single parent home, TV looked different, all black neighborhood, you find your love for basketball, right? Yep. At that time, there probably weren't a lot of women, black women basketball players. Um, what was it like playing basketball and not have a lot of role models. And who did you look up to at that time? Yeah, you know, there wasn't. The WNBA wasn't even around yet. Um, I don't even think that the ABL had started. And women's mm. college basketball wasn't on TV nearly as much as it is today. Right. Um, and so, to be honest, I looked up to... <laughs> to those that were around me, right? So the Fab Five, right? And so my family has um, relationships with like uh, Jalen Rose and his family and Chris Webber and their family. So I looked up to the Fab Five and then obviously I looked up to Jordan, right? I looked up to BJ Armstrong. I looked up to John Starks because those were the people that I saw on TV and the people that I could best emulate, right? Were some of those male guards. Um, And so I didn't have a ton of, um, you know, female role models in that space that I looked up to, you know, junior, junior high going into high school. And it really wasn't until the WNBA took off that I really saw people like uh, Cynthia Cooper, um, Cheryl Swoops, Lisa Leslie. And those were the people that they kind of pushed in front of the spotlight. And so it was instant though, you know, right when I got to high school and the WNBA started and I saw like, whoa, wait a minute, you mean to tell me like this women's basketball player playing in this women's league is now about to have her own shoe. Yeah. Right. Sign me it's up. A thing. I'm, I'm, yeah. It's I'm a thing. Yep. <laughs> so now I'm like, I'm looking at my future. Like eventually I'm going to make as much money as Michael Jordan, because you know, the path has been laid. The foundation has been set. We're going to carry on and we're going to be in the same, uh, you know, situation as our male counterparts, which we know has not quite reached that full potential yet, but it was just good to be able to see someone that looked like me be, you know, an inspiration to me in those times. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so at that time, as a young age, um, of course, you were looking up to uh, like the Michael Jordan. Let me ask, Scottie Pippen. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. For just sure. I just wanted to throw that because Scottie Pippen is my man. You know, um, Ray <laughs> Allen, Reggie Miller, and all oh, of those yeah. crew. Yeah. Um, so you, know you were what, looking. Funny up- is, you know how people talk about Kobe. I remember like. I used to take a wire hanger in my bedroom and hang it around the door. And yeah. then I would take my socks and shoot. And you know how people now, when they shoot, they'll be like, Kobe. Well, yep, like yep. Reggie Miller was the dude before that. Right. So right, I right, right. like into a trash can or into the hanger. And I'd be like, Reggie. So Reggie. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's like, you know, Kobe came and I mean, Kobe, like, well, yeah, Kobe's a little younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when Kobe showed up and everyone's like, Kobe, Kobe, I'm like, Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, so so you you then went through this whole period of looking up to sort of, like, the male basketball superstars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you, you then you got into the space of this, the, the Lizzo, Leslie's, and, and you're like, oh, I can do this too, right? Yeah. But it wasn't easy in college. <laughs> No, right? No, no, not at all. I mean, because I hadn't really seen it. I mean, like going into college, you know, and I guess looking back on it now, I mean, I could have told you a little bit about Pat Summit and maybe Shamiko Holtzclaw, mm-hmm. right, who played for Tennessee and I knew what a powerhouse they were, but I couldn't give you much more beyond that outside of the teams right. that were recruiting me. Like it wasn't like it was a national conversation or something that made its way into my home often. Right. So when you play in uh, Central Michigan University, Mm-hmm. Um, were there a, a lot of other black female um, team uh, teammates you had or what was that population like? Yeah. So one. OK, so I already said that, like in Detroit, 98 percent black. Right. Yep. And then Central Michigan, predominantly white institution. Mm-hmm. So when I got there, I was kind of like, what in the world? Like, I mean, right. I'm two hours up the road, but this yep. is I went from. I don't know from good times to Brady Bunch. It was just yeah. like, I don't know, what, you know, what it was going on. Yeah. When I first got there, it took me a minute. And, you know, I can honestly say now looking back that I actually assimilated to the culture there. Mm. Right. And so I went from, you know, at home listening to the hot boys and Lil Wayne 
to now listening to John Mayer, you know, and Dave Matthews band and wearing Abercrombie. But when I'm home, I'm in my Timberlands. And so I was doing this dance a little bit. Um, and so it took me a while to kind of, you know, find my identity. Um, you know, and I know you, as we talk about this podcast, it took, it took me a minute to actually figure out who I was because I did this dance for so long, but as it relates to the basketball team, um, no, there weren't many other black girls on the team, probably three when I got there, you know, and, and you can hold 15 on your roster. Um, and our graduate assistant, she was black, but we had no, no black coaches. Um, and so I, I, at the time, again, I didn't realize how much representation of myself that I didn't see. Uh, I know it now, right? Which, and then we'll talk about why I do some of the things yep. I do now, but yeah. I wasn't privy to that at the time. And I think part of that is the reason why I just assimilated to the culture because it was what it was. Yeah. So do you think when you were trying to fit into the culture of Central or CMU, um, you, you sort of have to lose part of your Black identity in, to fit into um, sort of the the white the whiteness of CMU. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can remember my first couple of days on campus and even with my roommates and I had three other roommates and they were all white, um, you know, and like they'd be washing their hair using certain products and I'm yeah. washing my hair. Right. Yeah. And so then they blow dry their hair, but their hair would go straight down and then yeah. I would blow dry my hair and it would go straight up. Oops. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, I mean, I have this Afro. And so, I mean, they're trying to, they're asking questions that I've never really thought about and I never really had to answer. Right. Like, why is your hair so different? You know, and, and I'm yeah. like, well, I, I don't, it's just my hair. Right. And so now I'm, I'm worried, should I be going to get relaxers so that I'm not different? Right. So that I could fit in. Um, or even my clothes, like I said, you know, I might wear a cutoff t-shirt and some basketball shorts and that immediately changed uh, into more of a feminine look where I was more into now, you know, Hollister and Abercrombie. So right. I mean, it was tough trying to, trying to figure it out. And it wasn't until late in my high school, in my college career that I actually, you know, was like, wait a minute. I feel like I'm doing this dance. I, I'm not going to do this anymore. Either you're yeah. going to like me or you aren't. And I think what happened too is I got introduced to the Black Student Union on campus. Mm, okay. And then I started to realize these people look and feel like home. Yeah. And they're excelling here in this space. And not too many people are questioning how they move about. And so if they can do that, and now I have this group of like minds and like identities, mm -hmm. I can do it too. And then I just started doing things that felt a little bit more natural to me. And I realized... I mean, while some people question why I did it because they just didn't know, you know, just kind of out of ignorance, not, you know, nothing besides that. I started to feel a little bit more at home at ease, you know, with who I was. I could put my shoulders back a little bit and just be who I was. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the hardest thing about sort of trying to fit in into the the CMU college campus? Um, and I asked this question because. You know, I moved to the United States at a very, you know, early age. I was 14. I was like 1992. Went to high school, got to college, and I'm in Iowa, right? Um, and for me, it was really hard for me because as an African, I have an African identity of being a Ghanaian, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when I got to the States, you know, it was just, I felt very lost, right? Um, and in college, trying to fit in, trying to find the right group of people, um, it was at times very hard for me to be friends with um, other Blacks, right? Because they didn't really understand me and I didn't really understand them, right? Mm -hmm. um, but after a while, having the conversation and getting to know each other, you know, I was like, oh, okay, maybe you just get to get to know people a little bit mm -hmm. and get to yeah. know their backgrounds. And then, you know, they can just, you can be friends or whatnot, right? Um, yep. What was the hardest part about finding your identity at CMU? I think, I mean, for me, it was just like, worried about being accepted, right? Yeah. I mean, and so, you know, as I navigated my identity as being an athlete, I feel like I was always accepted just because everybody tends to look to the athletes to be some of the cooler people, right? right. I mean, middle school, high school, and it was no different in college. But, you know, wondering, will people still see me the same if my hair looks a little bit different? Mm -hmm. Or if I'm not off to the side, you know, singing, I don't know, God knows what with some of my teammates, I'm over here by myself listening to Busta Rhymes or whoever right. I was listening to at the time. And so for me, the hardest part was just getting over like you, like telling myself that you are good enough. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, these people may not understand you, but there's a whole world out there that may not understand you. And that's okay, because there are some people that are going to understand you. You're just like them. You will fit in. Just be yourself, and people will have to appreciate that. 
Yeah, 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 no doubt. So you graduated from uh, CMU, right? Mm -hmm. And then you went into, uh, you know, into the basketball, still stay in the uh, sports world, um, director of operations, and then you moved to Isle, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Now, yeah. I, I have to say, you know, maybe CMU prepared for Iowa because, 100%. again, there are a lot of, you know, Black people here in Iowa, right? I mean, yeah. yep. and you moved to Iowa, and again, you've been here for a minute. So that transition, especially now you're not playing, and now you're in a professional world, you got a job, and then you move to Iowa. What was the first, why did you move to Iowa, first of all? Yeah. Um, secondly, <laughs> yeah. what, when you got to Iowa, were you like, oh, all right, I'm back to CMU? Or <laughs> what was that experience like? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so we're missing a, a little piece of that, right? So <clears throat> I was the director of basketball operations at the University of Michigan, which is yep. in Ann Arbor, right? Yep. So I'm 30 minutes away from Detroit, which is everything that I know, right? right? Yep. And it's it's more diverse than Iowa. Um, but after that, I was there for two years. I went back to CMU to coach and I was uh, there for five yep. seasons back in Mount Pleasant. Okay. Um, so I 100% believe that me spending right nine years total as a player and a coach and Mount Pleasant definitely prepared me for, you know, what to expect here when I got to Iowa and just, you know, not necessarily seeing representation and oftentimes being the only black person in certain spaces, but mm. What drew me here? Um, so I have a 16 year old son. He's now 16. And yeah. I knew that um, he had bounced around a little bit, right? He started at school in Detroit and then he went to school in Canton, which is near Ann Arbor. And then we moved him to Mount Pleasant. I knew that once I got, once he got to high school, I didn't want him to bounce around. I wanted him to have one experience in the same high school for four years. Mm. Um, and so to that end, I knew that I probably wasn't going to be at CMU for another four years, you know, making it a total of nine. And so I had a conversation with the head coach at the time. And I was like, Hey, you know, I really love uh, the big 10 conference, but I'm looking to get a different experience. You know, I've been here for five years. I've also played here. I just want something different. Right. She had a conversation with Lisa Bluter, head coach at Iowa, who was looking for an assistant coach. Um, so, but my head coach at the time at central did not tell me that she had this conversation. So one day I had a phone call from Lisa Bluter and I was talking to her about the, you know, the opportunity to interview here at Iowa. So when I got back home, I talked to my, you know, my now wife and I'm like, Sharita, guess who called me today? Right. And it's not in the off season. You're going to get some phone calls with people gauging your interest in certain institutions. Right. right. And so I remember this particular day I went home and I'm like, Sharita, guess who called? And she's like, who? And I was like, Iowa. Ain't nobody going no damn Iowa. Iowa. Not a chance. And that was the end of the conversation, right? right like, yeah. I, didn't, I wasn't going to explore any further. All I knew was that there was a lot of corn and that all the presidential candidates go through Iowa. That was yep. about the only thing that I could tell you. And so as I started to think though, I'm like, okay, again, I'm not going to be here for another four years. So I at least need the interview experience. Right. So let me give, you know, Lisa Bluter a chance. So she asked if she could interview me on the phone for like an hour. And I was like, absolutely. And so as I went through that process, getting to know her more as a person, as a coach, as a mother and kind of what she stood for, I was like, okay, like, I'm going to continue on with this process because she yeah. sounds like, you know, somebody that if at the very least that I should have get to know me as I progress throughout my career. Right. And so she asked me that same day, if I'd be willing to have kind of like a zoom, um, you know, conversation with the rest of her staff. And I was like, Oh, okay. She, she likes me a little bit. So we had another hour long conversation and then just, you know, talking with them. Um, they, they were very transparent with me in terms of like, you know, your family is going to become part of our family. When we go on these trips during Thanksgiving or foreign tours, they'll have an opportunity to travel with you. Um, you know, LGBTQ, like when we start having those conversations, like that's very accepted here within our program. Um, so it won't be a problem for you and your, you know, your spouse or, you know, your partner at the time to be around our program. That's going to be good. And so I, at this point, I'm like, okay, cool. This is the first time that I've openly talked about this with any staff like openly, right? And it was fine at CMU, but we didn't have that conversation going into it. And so then really what sold me when I came here is I came on my interview in person. And once I got to Iowa City, I was like, whoa. Like, <laughs> I mean, I had to ride past a few cornfields from the airport right, to Iowa right. City, but once I got here, I was like, man, this downtown is happening. Like, I mean, the way that it flowed with the campus, yeah. you know, kind of interwoven into downtown and, you know, all the mom and pop, like, restaurants and stores Little and spot, you know, yep. going on campus. Yeah, I was like, 
this isn't too bad. This isn't what I thought it was going to be at all. Um, and so um, Coach Keno Davis, his his dad used to coach here at the University of Iowa, Dr. Tom Davis. Yeah. Um, he's now the head coach at, at Central Michigan. And he also had somebody on his staff, Kevin Gamble, who played here for Dr. Tom Davis. And so when I went back and I was talking to them, and I was like, guys, like, going to Iowa city has really opened my eyes to like the possibility of living there. Like, what do you guys think? Both of you guys have spent time there. One as a kid, one as a player, what do you guys think? They said, if Lisa Bluter offers you that job, take it, take it. Take it. And so from that moment, you know, I had a conversation with my partner and I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, if you feel comfortable, you know, we, we did our research on like schools and jobs for them, but she's like, if I know that you're going to make the best interest, the best decision for the interest of this family. So if that's what you feel like it should be, then let's do it. So a few weeks later, Coach Bluter called me. I was like, uh, Sharita, I think we're about to make this official. And she's like, don't tell her yes yet. Let's go visit. And I'm like, right. cool. I was like, Coach Bluter, give me a few hours. Like, And so like two days later, me and my family, we hop in the car. We come visit. Uh, we meet with Jan Jensen, who's on staff. Had an opportunity to like go visit the schools and just see the lay of the land. Think, Envision like where we could actually live. Right. And I made that phone call. And, and here I am four there years later. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, and I am like, you know, so filled with joy every time I walk the hallway and I see you walking down and, you know, it's again, like I said, you're so authentic and you're so passionate about what you do. It's refreshing mm-hmm. to see that, right? Because you don't see that a lot. I mean, people, there, there's, there are people who are really passionate about their job, especially in the athletics world. Um, but you know, what I find, you know, sort of comparable, well, maybe not comparable, but what I find a, a difference between someone like you and other people who are super passionate about athletics is there is some level of, um, authenticity, right? I mean, you truly love basketball. You truly yeah. love what you're doing. Um, you're yep. impacting a lot of young girls, younger generation, and, you know, trying to show them the way. And it's absolutely refreshing. And, you know, I'm, I'm filled with joy every time I see you walking down the hallway, oh. you know, with your swag on. And you know, <laughs> it, it, it's great. It's great, right? So, again, so let's go back into you, you get to Iowa. And now you're trying to create the space, right? Mm-hmm. A safe space yep. for people like you um, or people, again, like people like you who just need to have that safe space to talk about yeah. air, right? Yep. Um, yep. You know, like you're, when you were at CMU, you know, you, you have the hair thing and you, oh, yeah. you wanted to talk about hair, right? Mm-hmm. And where do I get my hair done or, you know, stuff okay. like that. And so now you are now a mentor for this younger girls um, in that same situation, um, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about why you think it's important to create that safe space for, especially for younger black women who mm-hmm. at this stage are trying to find their identity, either yep. as an athlete or as a black woman or as a college student. Um, why is that important? Yeah. Especially so, for black women. Yeah. You know what? And I didn't realize, so I'm going to tell a quick story. I didn't realize the importance until there was something that happened that kind of, that kind of like made me awaken to the situation. So um, my first year here, we were in the NCAA tournament and we were out in, uh, where were we? We were in LA. Right. And so, you know, kids are taking pictures. We're on the boardwalk in Santa Monica. And I hear some of our players like, Coach Raina, come take this photo. And I'm like, cool. So I turned around and it was like the four black kids on the team. And I'm like, oh, and my heart was like, <laughs> right. I'm like, we're about to do this. Like, right. what are other yeah. people going to think of this? Like, ah, right. I, like, is this divisive? What? And then, I was like, you know what? This is what these kids want. One right. photo. Let's just do it. Took the photo. Cool. Next month, we get to our banquet. Coach Raina, come take this photo. I turn around. Same kids. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh. You guys, this is becoming a thing now. You know, so it's the four black kids on the team and myself. And so <clears throat> one of the seniors that was leaving, I asked her, I was like, hey, like, why do you want to keep taking this particular photo with these particular people? Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, Coach Raina, I can remember a time when I felt like it was just me. And right now I feel like you guys are my family. And so now that I'm about to graduate, I want to make sure that I have pictures of my family. And I was like, whoa, like, whoa. (laughs) And so it started making me think about like my collegiate experience and kind of how I didn't have anybody to talk to about certain issues. And although these things were happening unintentionally, I decided, I think that we should have an intentional space for these kids to be able to talk about whatever they want to talk about without being judged, without having to code switch, just being their authentic selves. And so my second year, you know, I, I was kind of 
nervous about asking Coach Bluter, could I do this? But I knew I was very passionate about it and I knew it was necessary. And so I asked her if she wouldn't mind if I met with the Black kids once a month, um, one, so that we did have that safe space to just talk about, you know, things that we found important to our community or things that maybe other people wouldn't understand. But not only that, for me to have the opportunity to introduce them to other successful Black women that could be part of their cohort or, you know, their network. So as they navigate this world, once they leave here, they can have a group of Black women in their corner. So um, it's been very instrumental, like, into the growth of these young women. And obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm here for all the women on our team, right? Not just the Black women. But I understand that some of these kids need to be poured into in a different way. Yeah. And that's what I'm attempting to do, you know, with the black kids in our program. And so, I mean, the conversations that we have, right, we had conversations one, this one particular day. I mean, we talked about the importance of voting. Yep. And then, of course, then it went to Kanye. Yep. And then navigated to Donald Trump. And then who can use the N-word if anybody can use the N-word? And right. then we all go in and Amazon and get our hair products so that we only had to pay one shipping fee. Right. Like, I mean, those were the type of conversations that yeah. we were having. I mean, we will go out and I know we went to watch uh, Queen and Slim together, um, you know, unfortunately in COVID. But I think American Skin, if that came out in movie theaters, that'd probably be a movie that we went to right. go see as well. And then we'll yeah. go to different soul food spots. But just to give them a touch of home you know, um, because I don't want them to feel like they have to assimilate. I don't want them to have to go through the first three years that I did in college. They mm-hmm. should be able to come here right from leaving their parents' house and be able to be themselves and to find themselves immediately and not have to go through that process of, you know, do I belong? Am I good enough? Right. Um, and so really, I think that's what that platform has just allowed. And, you know, it's it's done wonders for, you know, not only the kids on, the Black kids on our team but they also take those conversations and have them with other kids on the team their roommates their teammates um and so i think those conversations have have done wonders for our program yeah yeah, no so first of all when you told that story about taking the four pictures and you know family and (laughs) stuff like that you know i'm here getting goosebumps right because i mean it's so powerful because a lot of times you know like our white friends don't really think about something like that right so Mm -hmm. like what you're talking it just remind me it reminded me of um, the coalition that I, um, myself and my good friend Curtis Chunk started a couple of years ago um, called Black Men in Technology, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and for us, you know, um, Curtis and I, for the longest time when we were working at the at University of our hospital, um, there was only two of us, the two Black men, right? Wow. And yeah. there were over 350 employees within that department. And, Jeez. you know, and it, everywhere we go, like, you know, when I sit in meetings and I'm the only one there, I feel so alone, right? And so yep. we decided yep. that, you know what, we, we need to sort of build our own family and build a space mm-hmm. that we can talk about things or people that we can relate to, right? Um, yep. And, and you know, yep. like you were saying, you know, we usually go out, We use, well, before COVID, we used to go out for like, you know, lunches and, you know, have conversations and stuff like that. And it's crazy because, you know, there are times that we'll walk into a restaurant and as soon as you see like four or five black men walk into a restaurant, oh my God, like, you know, they're about to rob the place, (laughs) (laughs) right? You know, and and so, you know, in a minute, I'm going to ask you about that experience, you know, that, you know, do you find yourself into in spaces that where there's like a group of you Mm-hmm. Um, as in a group of black women, or maybe it's just a group of, you know, blacks in a space and you walk into a space and people look at you like you're about to rob the place. Right. Yeah. Cause it's crazy. Like we, so again, we're all professional. We're dressed nicely. You know, we walk into a restaurant and we just want to eat and have a conversation. Right. And we get there, you know, and you know, the waiter sort of looks around and sits us all the way in the back. So yep. we're not visible mm-hmm. to like everybody else coming in. Like, do you have that experience with your girls as well? Yeah. I mean, I've had that experience with, you know, um, so not necessarily with the team. And I would say because most of the places that we go with the team, it's <laughs> they're so food places. So the clientele mm-hmm. in those establishments are a bit different, right? They're, okay. they're diverse or it's predominantly people of color uh, once right. we go in the door. But I've had that situation like with my friends, my female and my male friends, where, you know, they try to sit you off to the side or kind of out of the way so that you're not intimidating to, you know, their patrons or their customers. Or, um, you know, there's times when just Sharita and I will walk into place and people are kind of, you know, looking at us like, what what are they doing? Like, right. you know, like, dude, we're <laughs> coming they here? the same thing you're doing to probably watch the game and, you know, have a beer or just get some food, you know? Um, and it could be nerve wracking, but 
you know, the, the only thing we can do without people knowing us is kill them with kindness, you know? Yep. Yep. I mean, I, I don't know like... that how many robbers would come in and be like, Hey, how you doing today? Have a right. great day. I want some food. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, um, you know, so we, we made a point of just, you know, saying hi to people if we find them staring and, you know, that's, that's their issue. That's yep. not going to be my issue because absolutely we, we could, you know, hold that. And I think for a large part of that, you know, our families, our culture, we've held on to those things for so long where we've felt like we've had to minimize ourselves or, you know, just be allowed to sit in the back for so long and had to shrink ourselves so that we're not intimidating mm. to other people. Well, no more. <laughs> no more, right? <laughs> we're done, done with that. Yeah. You know, if you don't like it, then that's just like pay your bill and bounce. But I'm yep. going myself. <laughs> oh, man, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. I hope everybody else is too. Uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and <laughs> Um, talk about you have some bling bling on your chest right now it's the continent of Africa Um, and in your Instagram feed you have three flags Um, I think it's Sierra Leone, Senegal and Guinea-Bissau right yep yep why those flags first of all and two let's talk a little bit about what do you know about Africa and the African people <laughs> so I know my ancestors were taken from there. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. All we'll right. It's so, a start. Um, so my answer is going to kind of be all over the place. So the reason why those flags um, have recently appeared in my Instagram uh, bio is because about a year and a half ago, I did an ancestry DNA just to find out. I wanted to know like where am I from, right? right. That's yep. that's been something that's been robbed for African Americans, right? Is the ability to know like where your your lineage and your ancestry where it originated. And so when I got it back, I mean. It was all over the place. It was like, you know, maybe Nigeria and probably Congo and maybe Sweden. And I'm like, right. oh, what? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Right? right. And so then I was introduced to African ancestry. And I heard that they can narrow it down to the exact country. And obviously they were, it was different way back then, but they yep. can get me into the correct space, you know, West Africa, East Africa, whatever. And then also your tribe. And so I decided to go ahead and do that. And it came back that those were the countries that my ancestors were from, were Senegal, Sierra Leone, and Guinea-Bissau. Nice. Um, and it, I mean, it even got me down to like the Mende, Fulani tribe, you know, like yeah, and so yeah, the tribe, yeah. I started to do a little bit of research because one thing, um, you know, that we hear oftentimes is that African-Americans aren't necessarily connected back to the continent in which they came from, you know, mm-hmm. again, because that was robbed and stripped of us. Um, and if it's one thing that I like doing, it's it's reading to gain right. knowledge. And so why not, you know, do some research about where I come from and the people that are, you know, still there in the places that I come. So it's one of my goals, uh, you know, to get back and actually vi- visit, you know, that area of the continent. Um, so then your second question was like, what do I know about... <laughs> African Africans. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> and so, I mean, obviously growing up, I knew what the media painted it to be. Right. Right. And it was for like two cents a day. I can sponsor a kid to, to eat or whatever yep. it was. And they always got the fly and then, poor you know, starving like, kids and, you know, they're, and so, they're skinny and they're bone. Exactly. And yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so that's what I grew up believing. Right. And it, I think it really wasn't until me starting to get into my own lineage and doing my own research. And obviously, too, you know, with this boom of social media and how the world has become a little bit smaller and we're all connected because you can literally like look up on Instagram anything you want. Right. Yep. I can hashtag Ghana and see like, yep, everything, the whole gamut <laughs> of things. Um, and so what I know about, you know, I know that Africans are prideful, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're they take pride in where they come from. Um, I know that there's many tribes, many languages, <laughs> you know, uh, I know that it's massive and yep. that, you know, that, that talking to you, I would know that, but if I just allow, you know, America to teach me that I'd never know it. Right. Right. Um, I get into the food a little bit. I know that there is a jollof rice war and Nigerians and first of all let let me clear this let me clear this up right now it's not a war okay (laughs) Ghanaian jollof rice is legit original jollof rice okay the Nigerian jollof rice is sort of like they just wanted to be cool like us 
I got and, you. Um, and so they, 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 they cook their jollof rice. It's, it's nothing close, right? I mean, <laughs> don't let anybody deceive you. Like, Ghanaian jollof rice is the original Martin Luther King of jollof rice. <laughs> <laughs> so it let's pull it up right now. Right, Nigeria right, is yep. Al yeah. Sharpton, but Ghana exactly. is Martin Exactly, yep. <laughs> that's yep. hilarious. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, for the most part, you know, that's that's – you know, that's all I know. I know, you know, in terms of Africans that live here is I know that um, like people like such as yourself, like Africans love to give back to their country mm, yeah. um, and, and help kind of make it more modern. Um, you know, so whether we're talking about uh, technology right. or, or certain resources, water, right, education, yeah. um, I know that Africans keep a bridge bridge back to back yeah. to their homeland which i think yeah. is, is super important and you know i'm not i don't want to use the word envious but i wish that i had that you know to to link back to to my lineage as well so right yeah that's what i got for you yeah nice hey, hey you know what that's better than what you know other people say right <laughs> <laughs> you know i swear like you know when i first moved to the united states you know people were legit asking me oh do you have a pet elephant right or oh, wow. you know do you have a pet lion and i'm like you know I've never seen a lion or an elephant ever before in my in life, life. <laughs> right? And uh, and let alone to have them as a pet, you know? Again, yeah. it, it's like what, you know, in the United States, you know, you don't see images of Africa as, you know, the technology hub right. or, yep. you know, all of the great place that it is. You yep. know, like you said, it's the starving kids. It's the, mm -hmm. you know, people killing each other or yep. is, you know, all the nasty things that happen, you know, that, you know, they show, you know, in the United States TV. So, you know, having a conversation with people about, you know, what Africa is like, I'm hoping sort of that conversation is used to educate people that, you know, Africa is really not what you see on TV, right? Yeah. Yep. It is, first of all, it's way, way, way better than that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it, again, like the uh, uh, Black Panther movie, right? Right. You know, that representation of what, you know, Africa is with all the different, you know, tribes and the colors and the beauty and the mm -hmm. technology, you know, and realistically, that's sort of what you know, the Africa <laughs> that yep. I know is, again, there's poverty, but there's poverty everywhere, you know, but it's just you know, the wrong representation of Africa sort of sometimes just pisses me off when I see it you yeah. know, on TV, you know, it's just like, you know, um, but again, like you said, you know, you have to read, you know, you have to educate yourself, you have to learn, um, mm -hmm. you know, the way it, if you want to know, you know, the real story. So talking about reading and um, learning and all of that stuff, you're an avid reader, uh, which I mm -hmm. admire so much about you because I really don't like reading. Um, the only things <laughs> I like to read are like magazines or research that are like, you know, maybe a page long, um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, you, you, you read a lot and you read so much that you have this concept of Raina Reads, right? <laughs> Tell me about Raina Reads and why you started Raina Reads and how that whole thing, Raina Reads came about. Yeah. So I got into reading actually later in life. Um, I was introduced. So obviously, I mean, you read some books here or there, right? Like The Longest Winter Ever, which is like a black cult, like following book, right? Like yep. I read all those uh, and got into like uh, the Hunger Games, like a little bit, right? But other than that, I mean, like I wasn't really into reading. And then in 2016, so I, I think this was slightly before Colin Kaepernick's whole ordeal, right? I got introduced to a book uh, by Ta-Nehisi Coates and it's called Between the World and Me. And I was reading that book like, I can see the world through my lens as he's speaking, right? I was able to fully grasp every word that he was speaking. And like, mm. it wasn't like some fictional place or like, you know, that I had to put myself in a different space right. in order to understand what he was saying. And I was like, whoa, like this book really speaks to me. And so at first I just started reading more books like that, right? Yep. And so uh, last May... I started Raina's Random Reads because I would randomly like post a book that I was reading or a quote that like stuck out to me. And what started happening is people would start texting or emailing or DMing me like, hey, what do you think about this book? Hey, have you read that book? Hey, what's your favorite quote from this book? Do you think I'd like this, you know, this certain genre? I was one of those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was like, you know what? Like, why not just be intentional about putting books on this space instead of like randomly as I'm sitting on the bus? Oh, this cover looks nice. Let me snap it. 
it, you know, let me be intentional about letting people know, know like what it is that I'm reading and how I feel about it. Maybe a favorite quote and what I think about the author. And so I started it um, right before the, the, the murder of George Floyd. Um, and I opened it up with uh, Glennon Doyle's Untamed, which is a phenomenal book. Um, and it's not really the genre of books that I would read. I mean, I like reading about um, Black history, to be honest. Again, you know, just trying to find my roots. Um, and so I posted that book and got a lot of feedback. And then, boom, murder of George Floyd, right? So I didn't know with with Raina's Random Reads how often I was going to post. But it was in that moment that right. we had a radical shift in this country yep. where the conversations were beginning to change and people were like, hold up. Is this what I just saw happen? How does this happen? Why are Black people treated this way? How long have Black people been treated this way? And so it was like, I'm going to focus these next few books on helping to educate people on, you know, the racial injustices that this country has been plagued with or uh, what it means to be an anti-racist, what that works look like. Because I think at the end of the day, everybody was striving to be that. How can I disassociate myself with this type of behavior? Um, and so you, you'll notice like right June to 2020, I start posting a lot of anti-racist books. And then, yep. you know, as, as, as I kind of got tired of reading that kind of stuff, right. It takes a toll on you after a while. Yeah, I just kept it going. Uh, I just kept it going. And so that was really the thought behind it was just to be intentional about getting information out there um, and then being intentional about directing people on where to go to be more anti-racist and to learn about this country. And um, I'm still posting those books um, to an extent, but I think it's just kind of what moves me, right? I'm reading uh, Phil, um, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog right now, right? I own a company. And so I'd like to know how as a small business or as an entrepreneur, he actually built you know, that company to where it is now. And so I also read a few, uh, one of the last books that I posted was um, what's the name of it? Uh, the Untethered Soul, right? Yeah, and it was yeah. about anxiety um, and kind of overcoming those fears. And I think a lot of us, it's been passed down the traumatic experiences of our ancestors. Um, and so really, I was just trying to figure out how to shed some of that anxiety that's not necessarily related to me. Um, and so, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's how we got here. I think it's kind of taken off. I'd love for like a publishing house to get in touch with me so I can have some type of deal on Instagram. So if you're out there and you're listening, yep, yep. <laughs> holla at me. Yeah. No, I, I will be the first to say Raiders Random Reads are legit one of the best resources that I go to because again, you've done so many, so much work in the space that, you know, when I'm looking for a particular book on a subject, yep. whether it's like, you know, Black experience um, or, um, uh, black history or maybe like you know anti-racism or just having black conversations yep. you know I, I i'm not gonna go and start looking for stuff i'm just gonna go be like hey you know reyna is gonna hook me up yep, <laughs> you know sure, i got you. yeah so if anybody's out there and you know you want like resources or you want um sort of like hey you want to get into a some publishing thing with reyna i yeah. am telling you right now you're going to make beaucoup money you'll make a lot of money just hit her up i am going to uh, post your link um, to Raina reads and everything on this uh, podcast and you can look it up and hands down one of the best resources that i have um I appreciate that. Uh, you also have a business unified ballers yeah uh, yeah mm -hmm. um tell me a little bit about that and why did you start that and how can people order stuff i mean because yeah, we want sure. to support you yeah thank you so it started like i'm like, like I'm a mess as a coach, right? Like I'll be out there just yelling all kind of stuff, right? I right. mean, like in the kids, I think they really take to it because I'm really transparent. I'm really authentic. Like, and I'll say like, say somebody has a fancy pass or gets an and one in practice. I'm the person running down the sidelines, like, da -da -da, da -da -da, right? Like they just made an ESPN highlight and it's, right. it's enjoyable, right? Like, it, but it'll also, because I am like that, I think it also allows me to kind of get on them, right? right. Um, because there's balance there. And so, a few years ago, like when our team would be on the road, like hitting three pointers, I would always be like, oh, where are my shooters at? You know, like just yelling it, and the kids would get hyped and they would start saying it to myself. Where are my shooters at? Where are my shooters at? Or even when they were missing too much, I'd be like, dang, where are mm. my shooters at? You know, right. <laughs> um, you know, and I would also have comments like, you know, if a kid was having a bad day, like, don't worry about it, dude, just bet on yourself. Like, that's all you can do is just bet on yourself. If you do that, other people will come around and do the same thing. And so I realized you know, as some of the players that I was coaching were starting to graduate, they would put like in their tags on social media, they would hashtag like, where are my shooters at? And I was mm -hmm. like, whoa, wait, like, 
where my credit, <laughs> you know, and it was, I was happy that they, that it stuck with them, but it just lets me know that people are actually soaking in these certain phrases that I like to say. Right, and right. so I thought where my shooters at would look cool on a t-shirt, to be honest. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to put out a black, a gray and a white t-shirt and right. it's going to say where my shooters at, and I'm gonna make a million dollars. And that didn't happen. Cool. But what I realized, not yet, not yet, not yet, not, not yet. yet. <laughs> but so I was like, okay, well, I don't want to be like bootleg and not do this the right way. Like I probably should start a company an LLC so that I'm not trying to get into the whole tax evasion deal. Like that's not my, my, my goal. And so I started thinking about, okay, well, if I start this company just with this one t-shirt, you know, what can I name it? And, and one thing about me is I'm all about unity. Right. And so when I said unified ballers, it wasn't necessarily all basketball. It was just like all athletes coming together for a common goal. And that's to be great. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and athletes have a tendency to understand each other's struggles. Right. Waking up early in the morning, going to school, staying up late, being sore. You got five minutes to eat, got to watch film, do it all over the next day. Right. And so they're all unified in that way. Um, and so the, it just came to me like unified ballers. That's going to be the name of the company. Um, and so since then, we have more than that one T-shirt. Right. And so we're really um, a, a sportswear business, uh, right. apparel business. Right. And so. Of course, we got your T-shirts, but basketball shorts, uh, you know, jogging suits. Um, so you guys can check it out. Uh, if you're on Instagram, it's unified underscore ballers. If you want to go to the website, it's www.unified-ballers.com. Um, we got something on there for everybody. Uh, you know, when this whole social justice movement um, took off, I was like, well, obviously, you know, kids are going to want to do something with right. their mask, yeah. right? So obviously we had the bet on yourself mask and where my shooters at mask, but um, one of the biggest sellers since last summer has been, it's time to unify mm, mask, yep, um, yep. you know, and so some of the proceeds of that have went to the Black Lives Matter Foundation. Uh, and now we're giving to the Until Freedom Movement. Um, so I think it's just a way for me to combine some of my passion. I'm a sneaker enthusiast, right? So my t-shirt got to match my sneakers. Of course, um, no doubt. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm very into, you know, seeking racial justice and obviously I'm a baller. So I feel like having that company was a way to kind of just, you know, be me and put it out there and put all those things together as a representative yeah. of who I am. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like I said, I'm going to post all the links um, in the podcast. So again, if you're listening to this, make sure you check out Unify Ballers. There's something there for you. Um, support Rena and her business. Um, let's get her that a million dollars. Hey, let's do it. I give I it back to, to the community, when, I promise. Yeah, <laughs> just make sure you come to Ghana with me, though. When you do that, we're going to Ghana. I'm going to take you yes, to Ghana. I'm with on me. it. I'm on it. <laughs> I mean, I'm on it. Give me a few, you know, I got to have some time in advance to make sure. No, I'm no right way. I, will. I, I love will. it. I would love to get to, to West Africa. I'd love it. Yeah, so we're talking to Raina. Um, again, the conversation has been great. Um, you know, I, I there's so much I want to talk about, but what I'm gonna one, one last thing, and then after that, I'm gonna let you go because I definitely will have you back. Um, I want to have both you and Sharita back oh, and yeah. have a conversation because next season, what I'm talking about is black love, right? Oh, love and, it. And, and black love is something that people don't understand, you know? And yep. it was crazy because the first time I saw um, you and Sharita, I was like, wow, they're <laughs> just beautiful people, you know? Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, oof, that's, that's just a black love right there. So <laughs> I'm wish I have you guys back, talk about black love. Um, but you guys got married recently. Congratulations. Absolutely beautiful white wedding. <laughs> I saw pictures. Sorry, I couldn't make it. Oh, Stupid good. COVID. Um, but right after the wedding, you went over to California. Yeah. Um, and people were buying you drinks. Yeah. And we're all excited for you guys. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. And then do you think that would have been the case five or seven or 10 years ago? Yeah. So we actually, so I proposed to her in New York city and then we went to Stonewall Inn after that. Mm -hmm. And if anybody knows anything about the Stonewall riots and kind of what kicked off the whole LGBTQ movement. So yep. it was only right to start our nuptials there and then make it final in San Francisco. Right. Right. Um, and so it was beautiful. I mean, we, we got married in St. Petersburg, Florida. It was beautiful. Uh, we spent some time in Napa on our honeymoon and then went to San Francisco. And like you said, I mean, people were elated for us. I mean, everywhere we went, people were buying us drinks, telling us, you know, congratulations, you know, happy wives, happy lives. <laughs> um, and so it was beautiful. 
But I mean, I think your question begs to, you know, question whether if we, we we've been together for 12 years. Okay. And we weren't comfortable making this official until last year, you know, and Mm. I just think that that speaks volumes into like how far we've come as a country. Now we have a long way to go. Right. But we've come a long way in terms of our acceptance of, of people. Right. And so I'm not sure 10 years ago, it would have looked like that. I'm not sure we would have had as big of a wedding as we did. I'm not sure that we would have gotten as many congratulatory messages as we did because you know, we weren't there, you know, right. it wasn't as prevalent on TV. It wasn't as accepted in the sports world. Um, and I think the more that the movement kind of just keeps going, the more accepting the world has become, right. you know, of people that belong to the LGBT community. So, uh, you know, like I said, we've, we've come a long way. We got a, a little ways to go, but I'm happy that I'm able to celebrate my love openly and outwardly, Absolutely. you know, as, as anyone else can as well. It is. It, it's absolutely beautiful love. I mean, I don't, I don't care what anybody says, what anybody thinks. Black love is beautiful. I mean, especially if <laughs> it's authentic, if it's real, and nope. if it's just out in the open, um, it, it's, it's, it's legit beautiful. So, um, but yeah, I can't wait. That's just a teaser for the Black Love <laughs> season coming up. Um, season two of On the Edge with Eddie. Um, so right now, what I do with everybody is... You know, at the end of sort of um, when we're wrapping up, I have everybody go ahead and just, you know, tell us about, um, I give you about one minute, right? So I give you one minute to tell the world, send a, send a message to the world. Mm-hmm. What would you want to tell the world if you get one minute to, to tell the world anything? Oh, all right. That's a great question, Eddie. I want to tell you guys to see Black people acknowledge black people, uplift black people. And in black people, I'm talking to you as well. We need to do a better job of seeing ourselves and uplifting ourselves. And I also just want us to unify, right? I know this is an international, international podcast. And so I just want everybody to just be able to come together and unify, right? Let's love on one each other, another, let's make this place better for those that are coming behind us, right? I have a 16 year old son and I want this world to be left better than, than I found it. I want it to be left better for him than what I found it. So you guys, let's come together. Let's unify, celebrate black people. That's what I got for you. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. Thank you, Raina, for showing up on the edge with Eddie. Again, we'll have you back so many, so many, 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 many times to come, especially when we start talking about black love, because I want to hear all about your story. Um, and I can't wait to hear from Sarita as well. Again, you're on the edge with Rita. You're on the edge with Oh, I'm co-hosting now. Here we go. All right. (laughs) Did you know that? Probably not. Um, Yeah, so uh, let me end with this. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, You you know, again, keep, keep it real like you always do. I love seeing all the time, you know, the hype, you know, the joy, the smile on your face. Like I said, you're true, authentic, and I love that about you. Um, and again, I, I, it's an honor to know you to work in the same building as you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to end with uh, an MLK quote, one of my favorite quote. Like you said, Unity, we may all have come from different ships, but we are all in the same boat right now. I am Eddie. You're on the edge with Eddie, detangling black identities. Thanks for joining us. It's a wrap. Keep it real. <laughs>